MSW Media. News Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, April 27th, 2021. Today, Merrick Garland announces an investigation into the Louisville Police Department's patterns and practices. The Fulton County DA is hitting a wall with the Georgia Secretary of State's office in the investigation into the former guy and is considering obstruction of justice. Texas Republicans are taking voter suppression to a whole new level. The U.S. will begin sharing 60 million AstraZeneca doses with other countries. Doug Collins announces he won't be running for office in Georgia a sad face. Ohio Rep Tim Ryan has announced a bid for Republican Rob Porter's Senate seat. Val Demings is considering a run in Florida. And Deutsche Bank whistleblower goes missing. I'm A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, Dana. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, A.G. How are you, my friend? I am well. How are things with you? Hanging in there. Getting through it. Good. Day in by day. <laughs> One day at a time these days. Yeah. With this fire hose of news, I had to leave two stories out today that broke today, but we'll cover them tomorrow. And that's based, you know, basically the the Arizona Republican Party trying to do a private audit of election results there, the 2020 election, the one that we already know what happened. <laughs> I just feel like, you know, the relationship's over and they're still like, are you sure there's not a chance we can't get back together? Mm-hmm. You're like, we're done. Mm-hmm. We're done. It's done. Yeah. And it's being conducted by a private firm that the Republicans paid $150,000 to do. And the guy who runs the firm is a Republican guy who was spreading the big lie. So it's they're going to make up some sort of election malfeasance and it'll be dumb. Uh, and then, of course, there's a big story about Biden promoting unions through a new White House task force. But we'll go over all those things tomorrow. We had to cut those stories today because there's just so much other news. And it is Tuesday, so I'll be appearing on stereo tonight with Andrew Torres. We can answer all of your questions that you have about legal stuff. Uh, and you can do that by going to stereo.com slash Allison Gill. And then, Dana, you're taking Thursday off. So you and I will not be doing the stereo show on Thursday, although you will be with me for the beans on Friday. I just wanted to make sure everybody I will. I miss you all terribly. Just so you know, I will miss you terribly. I really enjoy that stereo, but I'm taking a personal personal afternoon that day. Yeah. And and really the best way to know whether we're going to be on or not is you can set up notifications in the stereo app and follow us at DG Comedy and at Allison Gill. And you can set up, you know, just set up your little account for free at uh, Stereo.com slash Allison Gill. And then, you know, once you follow us, you'll get notifications of when we go live. So you'll know. And then you can jump on and sing us songs and have a drink. And it's fun. Do it. Uh, later today in the show, I'll be talking to Ellie Honig regarding the Department of Justice announcement of a patterns and practices investigation into the Louisville Police Department a year after the murder of Breonna Taylor. And this comes just a week or so after they announced an investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department. Uh, you know, it's been a, a while since um, the the murder of, of George Floyd. We just got the conviction, guilty on three counts. In August, we're going to hear the trial for the other three police officers there in Minneapolis that were that were there and aided and abetted in that murder. And then, you know, of course, we had the Dante Wright murder. I mean, it's just so many things going on. And uh, also, Ellie and I will be talking about the press conference today. I mean, the Andrew Brown Jr murder, which happened in South Carolina, and some of the things that are going on with them not releasing any uh, uh, body cam footage except for a quick 20 seconds from one body camera. There were eight cops there. 
And uh, that's just absolutely the opposite of transparency. So we'll be talking about how how they are completely mishandling uh, that investigation as well. But it's really, really tragic. Uh, And we do have a lot of news to get to today, as I said, on top of the show. So let's do that. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. Okay, as I said, the lead story is that Department of Justice investigation into the Louisville PD, but we'll be chatting about that later with Ellie. So let's hit some other headlines from today. Investigators in Fulton County, that's District Attorney Fonnie Willis's office, have grown very frustrated with the level of cooperation, meaning pretty much a lack of cooperation, they're receiving from staffers at the Georgia Secretary of State's office regarding that probe into the former guy's efforts to influence the 2020 election. Remember, that was a phone call. He's like, I need just 12,780 votes, please. And this is according to sources familiar with the criminal investigation. The lack of cooperation has prompted the office to consider whether it rises to obstruction of justice and to use subpoenas to force Secretary of State staff members to testify and share information. Ryan Germany, general counsel for Georgia Secretary of State Ben Roethlisberger, uh, who we know to be Brad Raffensperger, disputed the notion that the office was not cooperating. Because, right, who comes out and says, that's right, we're not cooperating. We're stonewalling you. (laughs) (laughs) Quote, I told the DEA's office that we are perfectly willing to cooperate with reasonable requests regarding their investigation. Hint, hint, word reasonable there. Probably uh, all their requests he's deemed as unreasonable. Germany said this in a statement to CNN. I requested time to get an attorney lined up to represent our office to make sure those interactions are efficient and not disruptive. Okay, so asking for information disrupts their daily secretary of state. Yes. Uh, And then, of course, he says the DA's office said that that was fine. So, yeah, okay. That's why I'm sure she's upset is because everything's fine. Now, uh, Germany claimed that the office was using anonymous sources to misrepresent their conversations and criticized that uh, as wildly unprofessional and said it's making me rethink whether we should cooperate with them. Yeah, that sounds like full cooperation. Total transparency. Mm -hmm. Also, you don't have a choice. Yeah. You're not going to have a choice. Nope. It's all going to come out, friends. And uh, Raffensperger slash Roethlisberger on Saturday told CNN Jim Acosta uh, at CNN, we're fully cooperating with the district attorney and added that it was false that his office was not cooperating, even though they've said, you're making me rethink whether we should cooperate. (laughs) (laughs) Totally clear. Totally clear on both sides. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Fulton County DA is expected to start issuing the first round of subpoenas as early as May. And the subpoenas could be more extensive than previously expected because they're having difficulty getting information out of Raffensperger's office. That's according to the person with uh, information about the investigation. Uh, District Attorney Fonnie Willis declined to comment on this investigation, which is the right thing to do. So I appreciate what she's doing down there. Yeah, we're giving them everything we need. Uh, they're being difficult. We're not being difficult. We're just not sure we're going to give it to you. We're thinking about being difficult. All right. Yep. Let's keep going on that. Um, a story that makes a little more sense. The U.S. will begin sharing millions of doses of AstraZeneca's vaccine with other countries soon. And that's from, from an official who told CNN on Monday. The U.S. has tens of millions of AstraZeneca vaccines stockpiled, but none have been used because not yet been granted emergency use authorization by the Food and Drug Administration. Now, that's in the United States. So because the president um, officials now feel confident the U.S. has enough doses for its population, they'll begin to distribute it to other countries pending a safety review. Multiple world leaders have pressed Biden to share doses as other countries have struggled to ramp up vaccinations. Now, one of those countries is India, which is currently going through one of the worst COVID surges 
in the world. It's horrific what's going on over there. Biden and India, Indian Prime Minister uh, Narendra Modi spoke on Monday, but a readout from the call released by the White House did not mention sharing of vaccines. So the Associated Press was the first to report on the plans here. The U.S. is now expected to have a surplus of vaccines in the hundreds of millions of doses. Some of those doses have already been sent to Mexico and Canada. However, sidebar, some of the reasons why we have a surplus of vaccines now is because there's a very large percentage of Republicans that won't get the fucking vaccine. So, and also people that we just have not been able to reach in underserved areas. So yes, there's a surplus right now, but, and and we've said this before on the show, this is so important. We are a powerful country. This is a global pandemic. If it's not taken care of across the world, it's not taken care of. Yeah. And, and Biden's expected to make an announcement tomorrow with the new CDC guidelines for vaccinated people wearing masks outside. We will find out what that announcement is tomorrow. I don't know that he's going to say we don't have to wear masks outside if we're vaccinated, but that would be a, a carrot uh, to get people to to step up and get vaccinated. Uh, I also know that they will be keeping enough vaccines for every adult in America. So it's not like you can say, you know, if you don't get your vaccine, we're sending it to India. Um, that's that's not what's happening here. We just have, in addition to uh, enough vaccines to cover everyone here, whether people want it or not, we still have hundreds of millions of surplus that we can send out. And this is a global pandemic. We have to stop it globally yep. in order to stop it here. Yeah. Now, from Vanity Fair, Republicans in Texas in the legislature are attempting to dismantle provisions that helped bring about record turnout in urban areas last November through bills that would reportedly make Texas, which right before the presidential election was deemed the state with the most restrictive voting process, an even more challenging place to vote. Certain restrictions would only apply to counties with a population exceeding one million. That's according to The New York Times. And some aspects of the legislation directly target Harris County, the state's biggest and most Democratic stronghold. The measures are among GOP-backed attempts in several states to restrict voting access in Democratic-leaning cities and densely populated areas such as Atlanta and Arizona's Maricopa County. Efforts that have been having far less of an impact on voting in rural areas, which tend to be Republican. Uh, on that, on one single day, on the single day that Harris County, where Houston is located, implemented 24-hour voting, more than 10,000 people showed up at peak nighttime hours. Along uh, with a ban on 24-hour voting, these two bills include a ban on drive-through voting, another flexible option introduced to residents this past election. One woman told The Times the method was a savior for her. Uh, as it provided a safer way to vote while eight months pregnant during a pandemic and avoided the logistical challenge of waiting in a long line while also taking care of her four-year-old. More than 127,000 voters used Harris County's drive through voting process in the general election. But even as parts of the Republican bill are not directly aimed at Harris County, they will most likely be hit the hardest, uh, such as the call for a consistent number of voting machines in each precinct that could hamper the ability to deploy extra machines in densely populated areas. Sherilyn Eiffel, president and director of counsel of NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, tweeted, it's about race in response to the Times story. And every time we use another descriptor, Democrat-run cities or urban areas, we draw attention away from the fact that voter suppression is fundamentally a racist project. While the next big voting rights fight in Texas, as Vox noted recently, GOP-controlled legislatures across the country are seizing on lies about widespread voter fraud in the 2020 election to suppress the vote ahead of future contests. Georgia's restrictive new law, as we know, sparked national outrage, and Arizona attempting to change the mail-in voting process in a now-stalled election bill are among such efforts. 
Joe Biden won both of those states in November. Trump got over just 52 percent of the votes in Texas, where, as the Times notes, there's a booming population that's growing more diverse. And in addition to GOP-led attempts to suppress voting, legal scholar Rick Hasen wrote that efforts to expand the legislature's power over who counts votes and how they do so pose an equal, if not greater, threat to America's elections and lays out a series of moves to combat such election interference, ranging from basic safeguards to the ultimate need to create incentives for loyalty to the integrity of the democratic process, not to a party. Recent Republican attempts to undermine the fair elections uh, and vote count include the provisions in the new Georgia law, which stripped the secretary of state, who we were just talking about, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, of their decision making power on the state election board, which which Hasten notes is a seemingly direct response to Brad Raffensperger, the current Georgia secretary of state, who refused to subvert the state's election results on the former guy's behalf, but also a change that would apply to his successor. The bill in Texas also sets up opportunities to undermine election administration by giving poll watchers the ability not only to observe, but to interfere with polling place procedures meant to ensure election integrity. Um, That's just I can't even believe this. Go ahead and interfere. Interfere is what they're saying. And Hasten says the message needs to be that fair elections require not just voter access to the polls, but also procedures to ensure that the means of conducting the election are fair auditable and verifiable by representatives of both political parties and non-governmental organizations. So. Hey, gee, I cannot even tell you the feeling of visceral anger I have at these voter suppression things and what they're doing to these fucking maps. Like it infuriates me. And because there's nothing I can do. I think that's also the hardest part. I can vote. That's what I can do. But other than that, you know, you call your legislatures. They're, the gerrymandering is so rampant. Yeah. Oh, it, it angers me. It angers me so much. Um, in Ohio, we're hoping to, to change a little bit of that and swing it, to, swing it to the left um, because Rep. Tim Ryan, the Democrat in Ohio, he actually launched a campaign for Senate on Monday. That's giving the Democrats the first candidate in the race to succeed Republican Senator Rob Portman, who's not running for re-election. He's announced that. The 10-term congressman first made his intentions known in a filing with the Federal Elections Commission that identifies him as a Senate hopeful. Ohio has trended Republican in most statewide contests over the past 30 years with the state's other senator, Democrat Sherrod Brown, who is the nicest guy, um, being the rare exception and really damn good at his job. Former yeah. president, uh, as we know, Donald Trump won Ohio by 8%, 8 percentage points in the 2016 and 2020 in both those elections. Additionally, in addition to that story, we've got Val Demings, Val Demings, and she said she's seriously eyeing a run for Florida governor to replace DeSantis. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> Two of those. Or she may run for Senate there to unseat Marco Rubio. Either one. Fucking do it. Yes, please. <laughs> uh, well, we'll obviously tell you if she declares. Uh, we're going to scream it on the podcast as loud as we can. <laughs> and I'm going to be doing a happy dance in my living room. Now, former Rep. Doug Collins, he's a top ally for the former guy. He announced Monday he will not run for office in 2022, and that's taking out a potential top-tier candidate for a crucial Georgia race that could determine the future control of the Senate. For months, Collins weighed a bid against Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock, but Trump has signaled his support for football great Herschel Walker. You You heard that correct. I just want you to know that that's what you heard effectively freezing the GOP primary field as Walker makes his decision. (sighs) 
Okay, Collins, the former top Republican on the House Judiciary Committee, was a strong defender of the former guy during his first impeachment trial and touted in his statement his work on the criminal justice overhaul bill known as the First Step Act. So that's another mm-hmm. story. Now, and finally, and we go to Texas. We go back to Texas. Texas, this is... This story also makes my blood boil because of the way the census was handled. I'm I'm furious, and I know you're going to have some words on this, but Texas is going to gain um, mo- the most new seats in the U.S. the U.S. House of Representatives under this new census numbers released Monday, while states in the Northeast and Midwest lose seven in a shift the political clout to Republican strongholds before the 2022 midterms. New York would have kept all 27 seats in the U.S. House if the, if the census had counted 89 more people in the state. 89 more people. All other things being equal. Instead, it lost one seat, and that's from the census officials. The Bureau released its uh, decennial count of state populations Monday, reshuffling 435 House seats among the 50 states to account for population changes over the last decade. Um, we saw what was going on with the census with the former guy. There's all kinds of bullshit in here. Um, but this, we know that our, our advantage right now in the house of representatives is what six. Yes. We need to get our asses out mm-hmm. in the midterms. We need to start doing this now. Yeah. Yeah. And especially with these announcements, I think they're going to start coming pretty hot, heavy, uh, in the coming weeks, uh, here next month or so with, uh, who's going to be running where, but, um, it's critical. And uh, yeah, the, the, and New York was the ground zero for the, the pandemic. Yep. 89 more people. 89. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't make any sense. The population grew. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's discouraging, uh, to say the least, but yeah, just another hurdle we as Democrats have to jump over in order to even just be even. And it's, it's infuriating. Uh, but we'll see. <sighs> All right. We're going to have a palate cleanser a little bit later. <laughs> yeah, we will. Uh, there is another quick story, too. Val Brucksmith, you guys remember from Bikini Robot Army. He was a Deutsche Bank whistleblower whose father uh, died by suicide, and he got all those files and, and spoke at length with uh, David Enrich, uh, who wrote his book Dark Towers. And um, he was a he was a Deutsche Bank whistleblower, and he's been missing now for weeks in Los Angeles. His car was found with its keys in the ignition, uh, not at his home, somewhere else. Uh, I've messaged him several times. He's been on our show and uh, back on, on the Mueller She Wrote days, and I'm unable to get a hold of him, uh, as are many folks at like Forensic News. Uh, Scott Stedman, who has spoken to him at length as well. I will keep you posted on this, but that is, um, that's disheartening and I'm I'm worried about him. Yeah, indeed. And uh, coming up next, I'm going to be talking to Ellie Honig, CNN legal analyst, former state and federal prosecutor. We're going to discuss the Department of Justice investigations into policing that are coming up along with the uh, Andrew Brown Jr. press conference that took place today this afternoon on monday so stick around we'll be right back after these messages we'll be right back 
Hey everybody, it's AG for The Daily Beans. We're winding up the month of April, and this month is synonymous with April showers, April taxes, well, maybe not this year, and getting April fooled. So we can agree April isn't the best, but to balance out the negative, how about doing something positive in April? Right now you can protect your loved ones and save money with life insurance through Policy Genius. Policy Genius can help you compare top insurance rates in one place and save 50% or more on life insurance. Getting started is easy. Just head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need, and then just compare quotes and find your best price. Since their licensed agents work for you and not the insurance companies, there's no hassle and no pressure. The Policy Genius team will answer any questions you have along the way. Their services earned Policy Genius a five star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. And all the benefits of Policy Genius the comparison tool, handling of paperwork, unbiased advice it's all totally free. Policy Genius can promise that you won't leave their website feeling like a fool. You can save up to 50% or more by comparing insurance quotes for life insurance and feel good knowing that if something happens, your loved ones will be taken care of. So go to policygenius.com to get started. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Everybody, welcome back. Joining me today, CNN legal analyst, former federal and state prosecutor, Ellie Honig, who is at a baseball game. So we may get some nice little background sounds there from that baseball game going on. Uh, But I appreciate you taking time out today to speak with us. I'm glad to join you. I'm standing far down the right field line. So if a lefty really pulls one, you could hear me bailing out and shrieking in horror. (laughs) That would be incredible (laughs) podcasting if it happened. But uh, be safe, Allie. Be safe. Of course. what I wanted to talk to you about today, some stuff I saw you talking about on CNN earlier today, which is, uh, you know, Merrick Garland came out, announced today an investigation to Louisville Police Department. They've already, this is the second one in two weeks. They're already doing one into Minneapolis. And of course, Louisville is where Breonna Taylor was killed by police. And we know Minneapolis, George Floyd and Dante Wright uh, murdered by the cops. And so I wanted to get your, uh, to help us understand what this investigation entails, how long it will take and what it could, what it could lead to. Yeah, so these are what we call pattern and practice investigations by the Justice Department, because what they're looking for is a pattern or practice of discriminatory policing or otherwise unconstitutional policing. Um, There's a big policy change being reflected here. So the Obama administration was very aggressive with these, initiated something like 15 of them around the country, and then the Trump administration essentially stopped doing them. They, They had no interest in them. They started, I believe, one and basically took all the political momentum out from that. Well, now the Biden administration is back. And if you watch today's press conference, the person standing to the attorney general, Merrick Garland's right, was Vanita Gupta, who is now the associate attorney general, the number three person in the department. Under Obama, she was in charge of the civil rights division, uh, which, which sort of did these cases. So you can see that the that DOJ has gotten back to them. They are long. I mean, they take years to do. They are time-consuming. But if you're if you're really talking about sort of systemic top-to-bottom review and reform, this is how it gets done. DOJ will go in. They will investigate all aspects of police operations, from recruitment, hiring, and training, through use of force, through statistical breakdowns of who they're stopping, who they're searching, and then enter into plans to reform and fix them. So it's not easy. Um, it's a painstaking process, but it's really the sort of most thorough way I know of to 
ensure that police departments uh, engage in real reform. Yeah. And so you're talking about hiring practices, training practices. What other sorts of things do they look for in in these types of investigations? Because we, you know, like you said, Obama did, did a, a lot of these and they just sort of came to a screeching halt under Sessions Barr and the Trump administration. So looking beyond your, your hiring retention, I mean, training is always a big focus. Um, use of force policy is the policy sort of correctly configured to, to minimize use of force only to what's necessary. Um, they'll, they'll do a deep statistical dive. How many stops have we made? How many of them have been of minorities? How many searches? How many um, search warrants? I mean, there's, you know, a, a, to try to look for patterns. Are we disproportionately stopping, searching, arresting uh, minorities? You know, I mean, which often or always ends up being the case in these investigations. So they're going to do a deep dive. Um, internal affairs. Are they running internal affairs properly? What are their transparency policies? Are they using appropriate technologies? I mean, body cameras are now fairly common, but but five, ten years ago they were not. Um, you know, are, are are there better forms of less lethal um, force that can be used, whether it's tasers or pepper spray or rubber bullets or, or best of all, really, is de-escalation techniques? So it's really like a full-body MRI of, of a police department. And uh, did you see, uh, did you catch the, the Louisville reaction uh, to this? Yeah. I know that the chief was there. And, and what were your thoughts, top line thoughts on, on, on their reaction to this? Because they were saying, hey, this doesn't, this isn't, you know, some sort of terrible referendum on our policing. This is, we welcome it, et cetera. Yeah, I thought their reaction was appropriate. I mean, it's not a great referendum on policing. <laughs> let me say that. It's not, a, it's no badge of honor, but um I think they're handling this and receiving this the best way they can, which is to look at it as an opportunity to improve, to do better. I mean, it's not necessarily just sort of this hostile force from D.C. coming over and wagging their finger at you. They bring with them, they meaning DOJ, some expertise, some resources, the ability to figure out how to do things better. So I think they realize that in Louisville. You heard some of that from the chief. And the chief's reaction was, we welcome this and we will work with them. And that's really the best and I think only appropriate reaction to any of this. Yeah, agreed. And and can you talk a little just a tad about the role of Department of Justice versus local police departments? Because, I mean, you know, as Merrick Garland said, these are constitutional issues, civil rights issues. And, you know, you brought up Vanita Gupta being the former civil rights division chief. And so is that why the Department of Justice engages in these kinds of investigations? Because of that the constitutional role? Exactly. DOJ has jurisdiction and authority to police the police, really, for violations of the Constitution. I mean, they're not really allowed to go in there and just sort of say, hey, you're not doing this well, you're not doing that well. They have to point to some sort of constitutional violation. However, any form of discriminatory policing um, will at least arguably fall under some sort of constitutional violation. So it's one of these questions about how does DOJ want to use its authority? And, you know, we hear over and over elections have consequences. Well, the consequence, one consequence of Barack Obama being elected was we saw a lot of these. A consequence of Donald Trump being elected is we saw almost none of these. And now we're at uh, Joe Biden and, and we're seeing a lot more of these again, I think. And, you know, you said that it can take a years or a year. It can take a long time. Do you expect us to hear updates uh, or because I know that, you know, the DOJ is isn't want to talk about investigations as they're ongoing, though this isn't criminal. Uh, it's procedural. But uh, do you do you expect to get updates on how these are going uh, uh, over that time or do we have to wait years to find out? Yes, yeah, these do take years. I mean, some of the Obama era uh, investigations and and consent decrees, which are sort of the end result, are still ongoing now. 
Um, and usually built into them is an element of, of public communication and transparency. We won't know everything, but often built into it, they will have sessions with the public, open hearings where members of the public, people who live in the cities can come and testify. And then typically part of the consent decree, which again is the legal agreement that the, the departments usually end up entering with DOJ, require filing of quarterly or or some sort of regularly reports. And those reports are fairly fairly detailed. Here's what we've done. Here's how our stats look. So there is, a, there is a good amount of public transparency with these. That's sort of one of the main purposes of them. Yeah. yeah. And, and speaking of transparency, <laughs> I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, South Carolina, what we saw with the Andrew Brown case today. Yeah. I do have to take a quick break, though. Will you stick around with me? Sure, sure. All right. Everybody stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of the pod is brought to you by Nuts.com, the best-kept secret of savvy snackers across the country. You know I love my snacks, and Nuts.com has the most amazing variety of high-quality, delicious snacks available. They have white chocolate toffee cashews, bourbon pecans, crystallized ginger, these delicious dried mango strips, honey sesame sticks, everything. And Nuts.com isn't just for nut lovers. It's a pantry shop, too. So not only do you get yummy snacks, but there's pantry items, including candied dried fruits, baking mixes, pasta. I mean, it's all there. I love discovering new things on their site. I have found baking items, items for smoothies, rolled oats, beans, and of course, so many delicious snacks. Nuts.com is a simple and convenient way to have nutritious, delicious, healthy nuts, dried fruits, flowers, grains, and so many other high-quality foods delivered straight to your door. Seriously, these are the freshest and biggest and most delicious nuts I've ever had. They have over 4,000 products to choose from. It's your one-stop online pantry shop. They even have gluten-free and vegan options and healthy, kid-friendly snacks like dried strawberries, which are delicious, and custom trail mixes, plus all the raw, organic, roasted, salted, and candied nuts you can imagine, even chocolate-dipped. Nuts.com is family. It's a family-run business, and it takes pride in getting you the freshest. So check out their easy-to-navigate website and all the great photos of their products. Delivered fast. Most orders ship the same day. New Nuts.com customers get free shipping on your first order when you text the word BEANS to 64000. And remember, you support our show when you support our sponsors. So if you're ready for snacks... Text BEANS to 64000 to get a free shipping on your first order from Nuts.com. Again, text the word BEANS to 64000. Terms apply. Available at Nuts.com slash terms. Everybody, welcome back. We're talking to CNN legal analyst, former state and federal prosecutor Ellie Honig. And uh, before the break, you were talking about transparency uh, leading to consent decrees in Department of Justice investigations into police departments and policing uh, based on, you know, constitutional potential constitutional violations. And today uh, we got the opposite of transparency coming out from South Carolina with the um, oh, oh, what is it? Pascatank, Pas- Pascatank County attorney, Michael Cox, um, refusing to allow Bakari sellers to see this 20 second videotape, them redacting the, the amount of the length of the videotape to 20 seconds. It's only one body camera. There were eight cops there, no dash cams, nothing else. What are your thoughts when you when you saw what what emerged after the family was shown this video? It's just a complete and total mess. I mean, it's an exact example of how you should not handle these things as a law enforcement agency. I mean, look, what they could have done is call in the family and show the family the video. Last week, the law says that. Um, instead, they delayed, they slow played, they bring the family and they show them a tiny snippet. How do, how do the prosecutors not realize that's going to be unsatisfactory? And then, you know, last week we heard the sheriff and other authorities in North Carolina saying, well, it's not up to me, it's up to a judge. Has anyone gone to a judge? No. Can law enforcement do that? Of course. I mean, look, it's, it's a new era in policing. What they're, what they're doing reminds me of the way that law enforcement agencies 
typically would have responded to this kind of scenario 10, 15 years ago, which is basically we're law enforcement. We, you know, we, we keep everything in house here and you get whatever you, we feel like giving you and you should be grateful for anything. That's just not the way the world works anymore. And it doesn't have to be that way. And when you, when you do it this way, you really create the opposite of what you're trying to do. You know, I'm sure they've, they would say, well, we don't want little snippets coming out. That's all we have now is snippets. We have the family's account of what little snippet they were shown. We have little pieces of death certificate, little clues and indicators. And so the public is left without a clear picture of it. And the public trust is just gone. I mean, to, to treat the family that way and the attorneys for the family, to have them come out and say they felt disrespected and, and, and mistreated is, is really about the worst end result you can have as a law enforcement agency. So this is, this is an example of what happens when old school thinking does not evolve. Yeah, and apparently there were there were two attorneys, one, and Bakari Sellers was one of them that wanted to view this video with the family. And uh, the, the county attorney there said, no, you have to be North Carolina Bar certified to do that. They read to him the statute that says that that's not the case, uh, but he still refused to let that in and said to Bakari Sellers, I won't be fucking bullied. Uh, and, and that was a, a big, uh, just a punch, a gut punch when watching that, uh, that press conference. What are, what, what, do you know the statutes surrounding that? Is it different state by state about the bar, the attorney having to be part of the bar in that, in that particular jurisdiction? I, I don't know the specific law in North Carolina, but I mean, if, if that's the law, that is a classic sort of old school, bogus pretextual law to just make life difficult. I mean, why the hell not? I mean, they're not in court. Let me just say this. Right. I, I get saying if you're if you're involved in an official court proceeding, you have to be barred, but you're not. You're, you're being shown something in a non-judicial context by a prosecutor's office. So I have a hard time believing that is the law. And if it is, then it, it, it wouldn't stand up, in my view, to legal scrutiny. It, it's just it's just one of these barriers that were erected, I'm sure, many years ago and, and cops continue to hide behind. But I'd really be surprised if that's what the law said, that you can't even view in the context, in an out-of-court context, you can't view any of this if you're not barred. And, and by the way, they are going to apparently go to the court at some point. So, uh, you know, all, none of this makes any sense. Yeah, it was just it's sort of just botched terribly from the beginning, uh, from both a justice standpoint, accountability standpoint and a PR standpoint. I mean, what a terrible, dumb decision to make. Now, they did let. Uh, Andrew Brown's family attorney, Chantel Cherry Lassiter, in because she is uh, part of the bar in North Carolina. And she took, gosh, 20 pages of notes on that on that 20 seconds. But it sounds to me like the the number one problem here is that they're only releasing that 20 seconds. They, there was a bunch of stuff that transpired prior to the video starting and after the video ended and that they, there were eight cops there with a with uh, squad cars that had dash cams. None of that's released. None of the other body cam footage is released. It's just this one camera for 20 seconds. And that uh, everybody seemed rightfully extremely upset about that lack of transparency. You don't make anything better by hiding it. I mean, look, it's all going to come out at some point, probably sooner than later. And whatever you hide, it just inherently makes it look that much worse. Maybe it is bad. Maybe it's not. But like, you know, cops just need to learn to treat the public like grownups here. And if you're going to put something out, don't try to snip it and excerpt it and hope that everyone's satisfied. Um, you know, look, I, occasionally there is a legitimate law enforcement need to redact something out, but I can't imagine what it would be here. And cops sort of just reflexively and prosecutors just sometimes will say, 
oh, it's a sensitive investigation. It's a sensitive investigation. Okay, but you have to show us how. I can't imagine a scenario here where you really need to, to protect anything or keep anything from coming out. So they're used to hiding behind this stuff, and now they're getting called on it. Yeah. And I mean, how many times in the last couple of years uh, have we heard it's it's not the crime, it's the cover up and just not releasing. I mean, this this is absolutely I don't know. I would be incensed. I am incensed. And I just don't understand their their thought process here, uh, because like you said, it's all going to come out and then it's going to look worse for them that they tried to cover it up. Yep. There's just no winning here. I mean, if it's innocuous, then the question is, why? Why would you have? withheld this and if it's not innocuous if it's bad then it looks even worse and if it's good for the cops then put it out now so um there's it's a nonsensical approach yeah if it were exculpatory right it would be all over our television screens right yep yeah well hey i appreciate your time today ellie thanks for going over that do you think the department of justice might launch another uh investigation with with the 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 breaking news of of the andrew brown story i mean (laughs) i don't see how they can't. It could be. but And remember, though, there's two different things that happen here. DOJ has the ability to charge these cases as criminal cases. Um, they're still apparently you know, deciding whether they're going to do that with respect to Derek Chauvin. Separately are these pattern and practice investigations that we talked about at the beginning. And it's sort of a sad statement. I don't know whose fault it is, but it does something about us that it seems DOJ just sort of chases these high-profile shootings when they decide where they're initiating these cases, right? I mean, we've seen, you know, we saw one in Ferguson, we saw one in Chicago, uh, now we've seen from this administration, Minneapolis, and, um, and and now the new one in Louisville following Breonna Taylor's shooting. So, you know, it's probably not the most reliable indicator of where there's bad police departments, but it, it, I guess it's as good as an indicator as any. And, um, you know, DOJ does seem to be drawn towards wherever there are these really high-profile controversial shootings. So perhaps uh, this area of North Carolina will be next. Yeah, uh, maybe. We'll see, and we'll be on it, and we'll report on it. And I appreciate your time today, everybody. Uh, CNN legal analyst, former federal and state prosecutor Ellie Honig, thanks for your time. Thanks, AG. Talk to you soon. Yep, enjoy the baseball game. We'll see you soon. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, Beans listeners, it's AG, and this segment of the pod is brought to you by American Giant. So many products today are mass-produced, made to be temporary, expiring before they really should, and they end up in landfills, so it's not sustainable, and we have to keep buying more stuff. But if you look back at the craftsmanship of the past, you can see it wasn't always that way. And it doesn't have to be. Maynard Winthrop, CEO and founder of American Giant, grew up with a sweatshirt from the 50s that his father gave him. Today, it's still in his closet, and it looks better than ever. With that durable sweatshirt in mind, American Giant launched with the classic full-zip hoodie as their flagship product, aiming to revive local manufacturing and craft quality clothing made to last a lifetime. American Giant believes clothes are, should be wearable for years, so you don't have to buy more than you need. And they have a passion for truly durable clothing. They've crafted what Slate Magazine calls the greatest hoodie ever made, and I agree. It's the classic full-zip hoodie. Slate says, there really is no comparison between American Giant's hoodie and the competition. It looks better, feels substantially more durable. When you wear this hoodie, you wonder why all clothes aren't made this well. It's seriously the best hoodie I've ever owned. They're obsessed with every detail at American Giant with this hoodie, so you'll be obsessed with it, too. They even brought in a former Apple industrial designer to help design the process. It's 100% American-made with custom-developed heavyweight cotton fleece. It's so soft and warm. And they have reinforced elbow patches to protect against wear and durable double-lined hood. And it's metal hardware, too. It's all built to last a lifetime. When I first tried it on, it was just amazing. It's very slimming. The side panels provide more mobility. It's softer. It's cozy. It's... 
it's got heft. It's just really, really awesome. And you can tell it's very, very well made. And uh, it's the best hoodie I've ever worn, so I agree. It's the greatest hoodie ever made. Get your classic full zip hoodie at American-Giant.com today. Use promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, for 15% off your first order at checkout. That's 15% off when you use code DAILYBEANS at American-Giant.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news. It's on the way. All right. This is the good news, confessions, corrections, what the mutt, favorite swear, uh, misheard song lyrics, whatever you have to send unto us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. If you want to start a new game, I'm down. Just uh, just let us know. This is pretty much the open palate cleansing feel-good segment that we'd like to end the show with, and we love your input. Uh, and you can, again, do that all at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Dana, I'm looking forward to today. I really am. Me too. Let's get a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> this first one is from Anonymous, and it's a correction. To be fair to Dan Crenshaw, and probably more fair than he would to any of his political opponents, he has been recovering from surgery on his eye. For sure, he'll be applauding the Biden administration's vaccine rollout success as soon as he's all healed up. Right? Won't he be impressed? <laughs> he should be impressed because he said he'd be impressed. Well, we'll see. But yeah, he has been recovering from eye surgery. Uh, and so, uh, okay, we'll give him, yeah, we'll give him that, uh, give him that time. All right. To I say he's so. impressed. So this next one, we've got proof from our last episode <gasps> that this is indeed a labradoodle. So this is Michael again, pronouncing him. Hey, Beans Queen, so Rowan, the big dog, he's definitely a labradoodle. He is just first generation. First generation labradoodles are a literal cross of a lab and a poodle. Oh. Right? I, I, I'm, I'm following you up until this point. Further generations are bred by using two labradoodles. Oh. Sorry for the confusion. Oh. So we have no clue what Oliver, the little guy, is. We just think he might be a terrier of some kind and maybe some beagle. Yeah. I would agree with that. No idea. Pet tax for causing trouble <laughs> is, of my, is of my cat Dickens taking a nap. Rowan makes use of a pillow like he's a human and Rowan and Oliver hanging out outside. Thanks. So, okay. I get that Rowan, this is the thing. I just think there's more lab than doodle here. And, and, <laughs> and he's adorable. I just, I'm so used to Labradoodles being a little curlier. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe down the line they get curlier. Maybe. He's cute as anything. Maybe because you know how, remember those uh, Mendel squares where it was like green eye, blue eye, and then like, you know, sometimes you get more of one trait and yeah. one's dominant and one's recessive. Maybe the lab is dominant and later down the line you start getting the recessive genes to mix together and the poodle comes Could out. Be. I don't know how it works. I'm, I'm my, my genetics is limited to seventh grade Mendel squares, so... <laughs> I definitely uh, think Oliver's a little beagle. Yeah, I was going to say, you remember how you always say that there's a beagle in there? That yeah. one's for sure. This yeah. one's beagle so for cute. sure. All right. Thank you for more pictures of these cute kids, though. They're very, yes. very sweet. Thank you, Michael. So great. More lab than doodle. <laughs> I think there's just more lab than doodle here. <laughs> <laughs> Such a cool dog, though. What a cool looking dog. Uh, all right. Next up from anonymous pronouns, she and her. Hey, Beans Queens. New baby bean coming Christmas 2021. Took a few tests Friday. Very clearly pregnant. Oh, yeah. Three of them. Because we can't tell anyone in our personal lives for a few more weeks, I needed to tell someone else. That's <laughs> amazing. 
I thought about leaving this anonymous, but you all have been a big part of my journey the last few years. So I figured, what the hell, y'all? I'm going to see my mom tomorrow. How the hell am I going to keep this from her? Should be a Mother's Day to remember. That's awesome. I love that. She's like, I thought about keeping it anonymous. Well, you did. We still have no idea who this is. (laughs) AG might. Just because you're so close, but... And I love that there's three different brands totally. of pregnancy, home pregnancy tests here indicating you're like, mm, <laughs> yep. you know what? Because uh, buying three of the same brand, you could get three of the same defect, right? So you got to you gotta spread it out over three different brands, and there they are. Very positive, smart. positive, positive. Very smart. Ooh. And a triple positive. So two positives don't make a negative, but three positives make a baby. <laughs> I think is what we just figured <laughs> out. <laughs> Math, baby math. Math, baby math. Okay. This is from Molly, pronoun she and her. Hello. I've been listening since just after the kitchen days, but I caught up promptly. Don't worry. And I want to start by saying thank you. Thank you, all of you. Big heart, smiley face. I write to share the swear that simply just tickles me. Instead of saying Jesus H. Christ, I'll say William H. Macy. (laughs) That's awesome. But I genuinely don't know why, nor can I tell you how or when it started, but somewhere along the way, it happened. (laughs) I don't have any pets right now, but as my pod pet tax, I humbly submit these photos of my old pupper's bubba, with an eight-year-old me holding him in one of them. That's one picture. We only knew one of his breeds for sure, but we at least think he was definitely mixed with something else. Uh, I'd love to know your guesses. This is... A cocker spaniel <laughs> mixed with the cutest fucking, I don't know, breed. But this dog is adorable. Bubba's adorable. Oh, what if it's a corgi cocker? It looks like it's got some Cumberland hound in there. I just don't know how big. I need I need the dog next to something else. Yeah, I need it for scale. If this is a tiny dog, then definitely not. Oh, my God. Oh, there's, there's one at the bottom of her holding. Okay. When she was eight. Oh, okay. That's a, a pretty big dog. All right, so said known breed is below Cocker Spaniel. Yep, we got that one. Plus, question mark, question mark. I don't know. You know what? I see Labradoodle Cocker in here. That <laughs> looks like a Labradoodle Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> oh, such Doesn't a cute it? dog. Looks like a Muppet. Oh, my God. Like gunned. You know those stuffed animals, the gunned ones? They're very, very soft. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for that. That's amazing. All right, next up from Allison, pronouns she and her. I got to hold my nephew for the first time this weekend. His birthday is 428, so we held his birthday parties a few days earlier so every adult in the family could celebrate. With the family all at least half vaccinated, we were able to let out a small sigh of relief as we all gathered together. This past year has been incredibly difficult, and one of my major wishes was just to get a chance to hold the little guy. Having my dream come true was one of the best ways to celebrate that I hit my fully vaccinated status last Friday. Attached to the photos of me getting to hold him at the end of the party and attempting to prevent a post-birthday party meltdown. Oh, goodness. Oh, Allison, what a honey. Sweet baby. Uh, I still have those. Uh, I'm still not over it. Still not over it. (laughs) All right. This is from PGS. Pronoun she and her. Hello. I was just listening to the show on Stereo App, and since the signal wasn't stable, I decided to contact you through here. Okay, here we go. DG, I totally understand your hearing aid issues. First things first, get them insured, especially if you have a dog. Very smart. I have mine only a few months when my dog at a time chewed up them beyond recognition. When you mentioned that you had more trouble hearing with everyone wearing a mask reminded me of how I discovered my own issue. I had changed jobs at the time and had to use the phone most of the time. I lasted less than a week and my jo- at my job because it was so difficult. I hadn't realized just how much I depended on lip reading. 
I had to wear AIDS before I had surgery in both of my ears in the late 90s. I had a stapendectomy. Basically, they replaced three tiny bones in the middle ear with a titanium pin. I had osteosclerosis. Autosclerosis. Autosclerosis. I'm learning new things here. Hmm. I had autosclerosis, something that I inherited from my dad's side of the family. By the way, listeners, thank you for working that word out with me because I realized <laughs> there's not an edit there. Um, it's a gradual, he- and here it is, it's a gradual hearing loss that takes years to develop. I went from roughly 75% loss before to 5% after surgery. Holy Whoa. cow. Took about a month after surgery for my brain to adjust to the new sounds, but I haven't had an issue since. I was 36 years old when I had my first ear done, my left ear done. And I waited a couple of years to get the right side done. And I don't regret a single day. I was happy to hear that a doc reached out to you while you were still on. And I hope they can help you out. And by the way, I did get that email if you're listening and I will email you. Uh, my hearing loss was due to bone damage and was able to be repaired. Nerve damage is totally different, but with the advances in technology since the 90s, I hope that something can be done for you too. Now, I'm not sure how the insurance coverage for this kind of thing works. I'm Canadian, <laughs> lucky, but mm. even if it costs a bit for the surgery, it must be cheaper in the long term than replacing and upgrading hearing aids for years. I hope this helps something to look, um, I hope this gives you something to look into or ask your doctor about. I've been a longtime MSW patron and I look forward to it every day. Thanks for all you do. Sorry, no pod pet tax included. I can't figure out how to get the photos from my new phone to my PC yet. Listen, um, PGS, thank you so much for the email. One, I'm so glad that surgery was so successful for you. Mine is definitely a nerve issue. My nerve is not doing what it's supposed to, to transfer the noises. Mm. Um, but thank you for this. And I will definitely, uh, reach out to our in-house audiologist that I will not be giving out the information because because it's just for me, um, but to ask some questions. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And who can name those three bones? I hope you're not pausing ex- act, waiting for a response. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this in, in, uh, when I was little there, they have weird names. They're the hammer and the anvil and the stirrup, very horse centric bone names for the three tiny bones. In they your ears. are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Look at you. Yeah. It's one of those weird ass things. That I don't know where I was last Thursday, but I tell you what those three bones are. That's amazing. That's so funny. Now, let's see. What do we have next? Oh, and yeah, I'm so glad that that surgery worked out. And and but you'll you'll keep us posted, Dana, on what you what you Definitely. find out. Right? The helicopters are getting quieter. I can tell you that. So that's good. <laughs> it's interesting. She said it took about a month to adjust. So that's probably a good reference for you. Yeah. I, I'm like a few people in my life though. I'm like, have you always spoken this loudly? And so I have to turn my hearing aids down around some people. And I'm like, Oh my God, do other people hear them like this? Because Holy cow. Has anyone ever said something to them? Anyway. Awesome. All right. Well, next up from Rosie pronouns, he and him. I've got a reverse reverse misheard lyric. When I heard the song AKA driver on the 1994, they might be giants album, John Henry, the first, I thought the lyrics were, Hey, NyQuil driver. It's NyQuil driving time. Oh, <laughs> sounds dangerous. You can imagine my surprise when the title on their liner notes of the CD, which I assume I would have gotten at tower records, a 2000 pen near GWU on the Tuesday it was released, which was the style at the time listed the title as AKA driver. Presumably, this meant the lyric was AKA driver. It's AK driving time. The song oddly had no lyrics in the liner notes. You can further imagine my surprise when I saw John and John live at 9 
at the 930 Club in D.C. in 2002 or so and mentioned that the song was originally called NyQuil Driver. Oh, my God. That's (laughs) hilarious. (laughs) And the lyrics were sung just as I heard them, but they changed the name so they wouldn't get sued by the NyQuil people. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Cue shooting star. (laughs) Pet tax is Du Bois sleeping. The dog thinks the cat is the world's most grumpy dog, and the cat thinks the dog is the world's most hyper cat. I don't have the heart to tell either one the truth. So I had a moment because there is a very misplaced dog bone, I'm assuming, that looks like a bagel. (laughs) I just thought it was a bagel. (laughs) (laughs) The cat's belly. (laughs) It's just a bagel belly cat. I think that's a new breed. What kind of cat is that? It's a bagel. It's a bagel. It's a bagel. The dog's a beagle. The cat's a bagel. <laughs> bagel belly. <laughs> oh, that wiener so dog is adorable. AKA driver. Also known as instead of NyQuil. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, wonderful. That's a great album too. I wonder how many people tried to correct this person too and be like, it's not NyQuil driver. How could it be NyQuil driver? And he was like, and Rosie, poor Rosie's like, oh, you're, you're right. You're right, dude. Sorry. And then later, <laughs> wait a minute. I was right the whole time. Trust your instincts. Uh, that's the lesson there. But uh, everybody, thank you for sending these in. These are so great. And thank you for the photos, everybody. Um, just wonderful, great news segment today. And I appreciate it all. If you want to send anything into us, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Do you have any final thoughts before we exit for the day? No, just a good evening to everyone. And I'll be in your ears tomorrow. Yep. And everybody, I'll see you tonight on the Stereo app at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 Eastern with Andrew Torres. So don't miss it. We'll see you then. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is directed, written, and hosted by executive producer Allison Gill and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Audio. Staff writers include Dana Goldberg, Amy Carrero, and Allison Gill. Our copy is written by Jesse Egan, and our marketing manager, executive assistant, and social media director is Kanai. Fact-checking and research by Allison Gill, Dana Goldberg, and Amy Carrero. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder of Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. Hey, everybody, do not miss our Daily Beans after party on the Stereo app. We'll be going live every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Dana and I want to hear from you. Our last stereo show went a little bit like this. What about you, ladies? What are your favorite nonsensical songs? The most weird, bizarre, silly stuff you can think of that you've heard through music. Thank you very much for all you do. Um, Hope you're all well. Talk to you soon. Bye now. Oh my God, AG, I, so I have an older gay brother. I don't know if that's relevant to the story, but I feel like it is because he had the B-52s on the record. So it was like, you know, we were into the, has anybody seen a dog dyed dark green, sunglasses and a bonnet, designer jeans with appliques on it. We were like, what? Like, Keith Lorraine, like, I'm like, how many drugs was that person on? Uh, nonsensical songs. You're so much better at this than I am. So you go first, because I bet you've already thought of one and I'll try and think of one. Um, my favorite nonsensical songs come from they might be giants, for example. Oh, yes. Boat of Car is really good. And then, of course, I'm going down to Cowtown. A cow's a friend to me. Lives beneath the ocean. That's where I will be beneath the waves, the waves. And that's where I will be. I'm going to see the cow beneath the sea. Yeah. There you go. No. Although, were they talk? Was he whale watching? Is it really that obscure? <laughs> you won't answer any questions about their <laughs> lyrics. I, I've asked multiple times. 
Oh my god. The best I can I, lo- get out I love of them. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. The best I can get out of them is the explanation of uh, birdhouse in your soul, which we already yeah. knew, right? Right. Um, Not to put too fine a point on it. Say I'm only being your bonnet. Yeah, it's a little birdhouse point of view. Uh, sung from the point of view of a, a bluebird nightlight in the bathroom. Yeah. Yep. yeah, I love that song. It's one of my favorite ones. 